Hey, this is Karen, Coach's Corner Chats, and on the episode today, I'm excited to talk with Paul Kelshaw. Paul, give us a little background on where you're at and what you're up to. Well, first, Karen, thank you for inviting me onto your podcast. It's a pleasure to be here. So my journey back, I started playing soccer around the age of 10. I probably was a little bit later than some of my friends. They, uh, so I got involved, basically the the team was desperate for a goalkeeper and being one of the biggest kids around, they, you know, the biggest kid always goes in goal. So <laughs> from there, uh, I just seemed to enjoy the, the position and it was really, everyone was telling me that I did well. I, I maybe think later on in life, they told me I was doing so well, so I'd stay in there, but there are, uh, so gradually there, um, and from then on, with my brother and my dad, we became fans of Burnley that are now in the Premier League. Mm-hmm. So we got season tickets and then gradually we would travel around the country. We had that beauty of being able to go to away games. So I got to see a lot of England, really, um, basically just on Saturday afternoons. But I got to see uh, lots of different places. And so then I really had a kind of a good eye for wanting to watch the game really as that goalkeeper as well you see in the field and then having you know that privileged opportunity to watch professional soccer and then actually to see a team progress so I've seen the same team from fourth division level what they now call league two and progress all the way to the premier league so it's always um always had that that love as well for the lower leagues of soccer and, and building up and that soccer isn't just always La Liga or the Premier League. So from there, I, from my university days, I, once I was getting ready to graduate, I was looking, looking at a job opportunity. I'd considered doing Manchester United soccer schools. They had done a presentation at the college and to me that seemed exciting. But then there was nothing in the Manchester area or where I live about. I was born about 20 miles north of Manchester. There was nothing in the Manchester area. Everything was was further afield. And it just didn't it just didn't seem the right fit for me. I had a couple of friends that had come to the States during the summer to work summer camps. And they just told me, you know, it was a great time. So it's something that I got involved with. I had seen a job in England, uh, what were they called a football development officer. It was like work, it was working for the council. So the equivalent of working for the town, they wanted two years experience. And although I could have, you know, put that, that I had that two years experience on my resume, I wanted to actually physically get those two years. I thought, perfect, I could go to the States get that two years coaching in the nice weather and then I'd be prepared for this this entry-level job that I that I was looking at and well never actually that never materialized it just kept I started off coaching for a company called MLS camps and got to travel all around the, the country then I worked for a company called Noga based in the the tri-state area, mainly Long Island and Southern Connecticut. And 
since then. I, I left there in 2013 and I've worked as director of coaching for Hewlett Lawrence for, you know, this I'm entering my eighth year. So that's also been the eighth year that I've worked for myself, which is also a, an interesting thing. So I'm going to go all the way back to the beginning. So soccer is like uh, craziness over in England, but you didn't get locked in until you're, until you were 10. What was, was it just not something that caught your eye or was it because like, I'm a big tall dude, so I'm not really suited for this game. I just didn't really, um, well in the area to so once you're around seven or eight in England, there'd be one team. It wouldn't be like C, C and D teams. If, if you weren't good enough, then you just played in the streets. So there was just one team. Um, I might, I was an older, my, I had a younger brother and it's funny, it was actually my younger brother that probably got me more involved in soccer. I never, I would prefer just to ride my bike or <laughs> I used to, or go build a den in the field and I'd go home and people would play soccer and they would play it. They call it playtime, but recess at school. I wouldn't, I wouldn't play. And then I realized I was getting left out. I was, uh, so I, I realized to be included, I wanted to, to get involved. And my first involvement, I got asked to play in a five-a-side tournament. So five-a-side in England was very big. You played with like, a, it was like a big tennis ball and you played off the boards and the ball couldn't go overhead height. Uh, the goals are about, probably about three feet high, but maybe seven feet wide. And it was, a, it was always a fun game and we played in a tournament and we had done pretty well. And I, so that's how I, I got involved in it, in it. And then, because when I first started as well, there was no roll on roll off subs. So you would, your team would have three subs. And once, obviously like professional soccer, once you were out of the game, you're, you couldn't go back in. Hmm. So I, when I first started playing, it'd get like five minutes at the end and they would maybe just put you uh, somewhere like in the, they'd put you like in the middle of the field, just where you couldn't really do any harm. You know, they, they weren't, they weren't going to. So obviously that as a, as that 10 year old, that gets pretty, um, it's kind of heartbreaking. You, you'd only get a few minutes here and there or once the game was over. So I saw, also then saw being the goalkeeper as the chance to, to really like get a starting place in the team. And, and that's what I, I was able to do. So it wasn't always, um, and then once we got into to school soccer in England, you, you go to primary school, so elementary school up to sixth grade, year six, and then you start high school, secondary school at year seven, which is like the seventh grade. And you would just, then you go through to 11th. So, and they would have a soccer team at that year seven, that seventh grade level. And I, you went to like the, the tryouts and wasn't too successful, but then I got put on the B team and then did really well and then got promoted to the A team. Huh. The first year was never that good. I, 
So I've had a few setbacks at the early stage, but from then on, so from that uh, year eight, eighth grade level, so you're probably about 12 now. Yeah, you're probably around 12 years old. Then I, well, unfortunately, that's probably when I peaked as a soccer player. So around <laughs> that, so from that 12 to 16 age range, I, um, I felt like I was, you know, I, I played every game for the school that, from that time and then I um I progressed from the local from the club's beat from the local club's B team I transferred over and I then I was on the B team sorry on the A team with my friends so those boys that I'd initially didn't think I was good enough to play with or was no chance of even getting a look in on that team I was now on that team so that was um I have fond memories of playing for for the team, Rosendale Valley, their name was. Uh, so, you know, being able to play with with those childhood friends, that was obviously, obviously a big thing. But yeah, you're right. Soccer is 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 everywhere, and and where I'm from, even though you're surrounded by Manchester and Liverpool, and even at the time, Blackburn had just won the Premier League. Everyone were everyone was a Burnley fan. You, May have had a soft spot for a Liverpool or a Manchester United, but everyone was Burnley, and that was something that you um, don't necessarily get growing up here on Long Island. But so it was. That's when I really fall, fell in love with watching Burnley. Um, you know, my idols growing up were Burnley goalkeepers. Um, Obviously, still had a soft spot for for Peter Schmeichel at Manchester United, uh, maybe even like a David Seaman at Arsenal in England. But the big thing was was being a Burnley fan and trying to like <laughs> probably to my detriment mirroring my game on being a Burnley player. So on those uh, on those game days, was it kind of like the whole that whole town kind of shut down because it was like. Burnley's on TV, so we're all going to be watching it, or we're going to the match. Well, back in the day, they wouldn't, because they were lower lower league. They wouldn't really be on TV. Oh, so if you wanted to see them play, you had to go to the game. And at, and at this time, they, if they were getting around ten thousand fans, and the stadium held twenty around twenty twenty one thousand. So it's pretty easy to get a ticket. Uh, and one of the beauties as well in England, they have reduced rates for for children. So a child season ticket was less than what it cost to go watch one Premier League game now. Wow. So that was so that was a great way to be able to to get involved. I was also privileged as well that my dad traveled for for work around the country. So Eventually, once we got older, we started going to a lot of away games. So being able to to see a lot of the, the English soccer stadiums and getting to follow the team, not necessarily every week, but it was still, um, they would only be on TV if they were playing in, in a cup competition. Mm-hmm. It's very rarely. It's only, it's only now with, with basically every game televised that you could watch it for, as a, as an armchair fan. What, what is, 
what do you see different from the Burnley that you started out kind of falling in love with at that like level four versus where they're at now at the premier? Is it, have they made, is the stadium bigger? Have they just now it's just full or what are some of the things that you've noticed? When I first went, it was, um, the two sides were, were seated and they were wooden seats. You definitely felt like you'd gone in a time warp into the early seventies. <laughs> and then the other two sides, uh, one end behind the goal was open terrace with standing. And then they, their most famous, they call them a stand. Their famous stand, the long side was, was covered, but it was all standing. They knocked that down around 95, 96, and they did build, you know, two modern, modern stands, but it's not like a bowl there. So it has now it has changed because there's so many requirements to be on TV in the Premier League that like the the floodlights have to be I don't know HD quality or everything or there has to be enough space for media. They've started to fill in the corners for so there's more access for disabled fans mm-hmm. or handicapped fans, should I say? Um, so there's wheelchair better wheelchair access, better viewing points. So things as better press boxes. So things like that have have changed, but it is. Um, and now the standard I grew up watching the team in is now the where the away fans sit. So the so there has been some changes, but nothing nothing really in the stadium in the ground has changed since since I, since like the mid nineties. So it's a, it's a very like historic ground. They, they, um, they play on the same site that they played on when they were first founded back in the 1800s. So it's, uh, or 18, if I'm getting right, 1882. So it's, yeah, it's, uh, and then all the way around it is like most stadiums in England. The only thing I've ever been close to is Yankee Stadium, where you're basically, you're in a neighborhood where there's there's houses all around it's not um so you definitely don't feel like you're in a time warp and because it's it's surrounded by hills as well i grew up in a valley so all the way around there there aren't a lot of trees so you can see sometimes on when they show the games on tv you can they'll show you the hills and you can see all around so it is um you definitely it's definitely like a historic sorry, a historic place and there'd be there'd be uproar if they were to move to a a modern stadium, or if they were to move to say the outskirts of town like some clubs have done to, to move to a big facility. That stuff like that doesn't go down too well in in England. I was gonna say that the cool thing is just the ability for you and your family and then like that whole community to have fallen in love back I mean it sounds the club's 100 and plus years old and for it to stay where it's at and be a consistent like part of the community is huge and then just the opportunity for you and your family like you and your dad and brother to not only see home games but then go experience those games away um that's got to be such a cool childhood memory it 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 is yeah I there are times where I think 
should I have been playing more soccer on on that Saturday afternoon? But but then the the places that I got to go, the stadiums, the time I got to spend with my brother and my dad, those times are you know are priceless. There, also as well. One of my favourite goals is, and I sometimes I watch it on YouTube. It's it's such poor quality, and you're looking it. It's a long ball over the top, and it's just the player running through, and then it's basically like a two-footed sliding on the on the keeper, and it's a goal. So it's it's probably more not necessarily the goal. It's more it's more the moment, the the game that it, it represents. Um, and that's the thing that I think has actually helped me with my coaching as well. That it's, and I can also appreciate that they're now in the Premier League, and they're one of the best teams in the country. Although people will disagree with me, they technically are. So, it's that's been a a, a big thing, you know, seeing how the team has has evolved over the years. But it was a big. It was definitely. A big part. Everyone in the everyone in the town, my age, wanted to be. Most people wanted to be a Burnley player. They they would mirror their game on playing that way. There, so it was definitely definitely an exciting time. Something that I've tried to, um, or I wish that I could recreate for my own children. Um, we had been to watch the New York Cosmos. In the, they're in so many different different leagues that it's hard for me to keep up. But we had been to a few games, and that had a. Um, well, it would never it would never compare to Burnley, but it would compare to a reserve game, and that was another another thing that I enjoyed as well. You could go. My first ever soccer professional soccer game was a reserve team game, and if you had a season ticket, you could go watch the reserve team for nothing, for free. Mm. And they would, back then, there was no under-23s, so it would be injured players or players that had been suspended that were coming back into the team, or it would be up-and-coming youth players. So you would really get to see some some good players. And, and plus, there'd only be maybe 500 people there. They'd only open one, one stand. So when... So now when people say, oh, soccer's not the same with no fans when they're watching it on TV, I, I watched some good matches where there was, there was, you know, one man and his dog. Yeah. They, and they got to actually see some, some good players, maybe a top-level pro that was coming towards the end of the career and was now a backup player or a, what we call a bench player for, for a team. So it was... As well, being having that opportunity as well to see those games, and you also we were able to get a little bit closer. Sometimes you could even hear them; you could hear what they were saying. Hmm. Maybe it wasn't good for a for a twelve-year-old to hear some of the stuff that came out of the mouth, but it was. Uh, it was still that was my. I didn't walk into a fifty thousand seat seat stadium and 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 see world-class players. That's not what made me fall in love with the game. I, my first game was a reserve team game and it was Burnley played a team called Grimsby Town. And 
what was even funny, I didn't even know that there was a, uh, they calling it a stadiums, kind of a loosely using that word, but going into the stadium, I, I was amazed. And to see that the field, the pitch under the lights, that was, um, to me, that, that was just spectacular. And uh, again, I was also excited because I was also just able to stay up a little bit later and go with a friend and his dad to watch the game. So that was, was a big thing. And, you know, I still, even when I've gone back home recently, um, I've also gone to watch Accrington Stanley. Uh, my brother lives close to their stadium now and they, um, and it, it is actually fun to go watch a lower level team um, with a smaller crowd and just see that. And sometimes I wish that some of my players could see that because soccer is not always going to be the Premier League with TV cameras and millionaires. It's, it's sometimes um, a gritty game where players are they're fighting for that there's no rotation in the squad. They're fighting for that place in the team. And if they lose that place in the team, they might not get a contract or they might not get a, a, a new club the next season. So it's, uh, it was definitely an exciting time. One that I, I look back on fondly and one that I felt privileged to be able to have. That's a great point of the fact that you've seen where like Burnley and some of the, like the reserves, like you said, where it's not like you have to put in the work, you have to grind. It's not all flashy. Like you get to see right now when you, like you said, when it's all top level play, like there's a ton of divisions within England and in Italy and Spain and all these places that people were coming up. One thing I've wanted to talk about, cause you brought up the fact that, Hey, they're one of the top 18 clubs in, in England right now. So therefore, like you said, that means they're one of the best. What is what is the feeling for, because I've always wondered this, as a fan, when your teams, I'm not sure where Burnley is in the table right now, but what happens when they're like 10, 11, 12? Do you feel good because they're going to stay like promoted? Or do you say, man, I'd rather be top eight? Or what's the, what's the expectations like within fans for a team that's not, technically like one of your top four maybe or or what have you I think um and again I think this is more of a an English or a British mentality uh, uh, currently we're just I feel Burnley fans they're happy that that they're in the Premier League people like myself I, I never thought that I would I would see the day that they would be in the Premier League um so it's still I still feel that the expectation is is low. It is starting to change now because they be, they're that that mid table team, and obviously with being mid table, you you typically win and lose. It's, it's like fifty fifty of how many you win and lose, or there's a lot of there's a lot of ties. So it can be um, not the most exciting of game, and you're really only watching the games because you're a fan of that team. You want that team to do well. You're not. Um, it, it is entertainment, but but only only as a only as a Burnley fan. Only with only with your Burnley goggles on. Uh, so it's <laughs> so there have been time. It's starting to get to this stage now where where fans are feeling like they would like to see more investment in the team. They would like to see 
the manager backed. It's a case of trying to get a, a lower level championship player whose contract's about to expire. So can they get him for a reduced fee? Or can they buy a player? Kind of similar to like the, the Moneyball story that where can they get a can they get an extra year or so out of of an older pro that that may have been released or can they can they train up a an up and coming prospect and then potentially sell on for for a larger fee so it's when Burnley didn't make it into Europe a couple of seasons ago it was it was exciting that some fans were able to travel to Turkey and Greece to see the team play, but it was, they weren't necessarily, it, the team just couldn't sustain it. So there was never really any expectation. They were just happy to see how far they'd got. But now, now that they're coming more of an established team, they're, you know, people are now starting to get, expect a little bit more which typically does happen to, to teams. I've seen it happen to teams like Stoke City and West Brom in the past, where oh, you could even put like a West Ham into that category where, and even to a degree, a Newcastle, like fans, fans are now expecting a little bit more. They're not, um, they're not just happy with being lower mid-table and just showing up each week. They're actually looking for that push, but they do realize that those top six teams spend 50, 60, yeah. 70 million on a player and and he might not even get 10 goals a season. It's just the um, to be able to break into that thing, it, everyone kind of feels like they need like an oil tycoon type owner to, yeah. to be able to compete. <laughs> Yeah, it's a sad. It's kind of a. I mean, that's kind of the bummer. But one of the one of the beautiful things of the league is that there is such a disparity in some of the numbers in terms of money and like quality of players. And then you got you know the ability for Burnley to have an opportunity to play one of those big boys and to get a result um, sometimes makes that whole season. But I think, like you pointed out, you all because of where the club has been before and risen to where it's at. Um, you get more of a like an appreciation for being there. Like you said, just the fact that each time I look on and go, holy smokes, we're playing the Premier League versus when you saw them at, you know, fourth division or um, and working their way up uh, is so cool. Plus, you know, there's so many examples of quality teams like an Aston Villa or whatever with a drop and then come back up and drop. So if, the fact that you can stay for consistent years is a huge plus. But like you said, after you start doing it for a few years, people start saying, well, hey, now let's start moving up the board a little bit um, and what have you. But like you said, sometimes it takes a little bit of money and not everybody has that. Yeah, def yeah definitely. It's um, it's becoming competitive. In fact, they actually, um, this past month, they were just taken over by, by a, an American, an American group of millionaires. So everyone's got, well, everyone had their fingers crossed that there was going to be some investment in, in the squad for in the January, which didn't happen, but we, um, they did just announce that they're going to professionalize the women's team 
So they're 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 making baby steps. We'll see what happens in in the summer, but it is um, you know it's still an exciting time to be a Burnley fan. I wouldn't I wouldn't change it. There've been way more highs than lows watching the team. The only and I when I watch Burnley, I wa- I'm watching them as a fan. If I watch them as a coach, then I'll um, I'll have greyer hair than I have now. So. <laughs> <laughs> so uh the move to the move to the states um those first couple of years they did stuff with some mls camps and what have you what what was that experience in like and like where in the country did you move about to do those um well it was it was remarkable really they so i got the opportunity just there was a an, a poster on the on the wall outside the library they were conducting in-person seminar and then group interviews. Went through that. They did like a training day um, in the local area where they, they mailed you um, a game to play and you would practice that. And then they did, they actually did like a training weekend and it was the week before my final year finals. So it was... There was a lot of people that I knew that were going to go that said, I can't, I've got that weekend. I need to study with its finals next week. And that was what's going to determine your, your whole degree. Mm-hmm. But I, I, the training I thought was remarkable. And again, there's so many different people. And then you just got information. You, I was flying to Atlanta, Atlanta, Georgia. And that's all I knew. I didn't know who. So everyone flew out of London. So for me, it was like a three and a half hour, close to, yeah, three and a half hour commute to London. So I mean, everyone stayed in a hotel. You're in Atlanta. I thought I was going to be in that Georgia area. I even had like a travel guide. I'm starting to learn about, about the area. I'd been even talking to a few people online, trying to find out about people. And then all of a sudden I knew, oh, you're going with that guy on a five-hour drive to Central Florida. Hmm. So the, the um, and I've talked about this with a lot of people, It some of the stuff that happened as, as that first year coach, you would not believe. And I, I don't know if I believe that a many many young Americans would do it. I think the fact that you couldn't go home, the fact that home was 3,000 miles away, <laughs> meant that you just had to grin and bear it. So the fact that just getting in a car with someone you didn't know, you'd never you'd never met, well, you, you soon got to know them after five hours uh, on, on the straight road. So I got to, I started off doing some camps in Florida and then I did a brief stint in Connecticut and then I just random this is the time as well where obviously there were cell phones but i didn't have a cell phone and you would stay with different families like week on week out and i got a phone call and a handwritten note that the saying you know i need to make your way to newark airport you know we're sending you to california so i then did uh, my first year did 
12 weeks in Southern California, just north of, of LA in Ventura County, which again was, was a great experience. I'm still in contact with a number of people that I coached out there with. So I started doing summer camps and then they did what they, they called it a player development officer role. But what you would do is you would, you would wear LA Galaxy um, apparel, like a jersey. It wasn't an official jersey, but and it was an LA Galaxy jersey. And you, you were known as the Galaxy guys. So me and another coach, we had a list of names. And we would just call, oh, we'd phone, we'd use like the family's landline phone. And you would, oh, uh, Coach Jones, Coach Smith, I'm going to be at the field tomorrow. You just had their last name. You didn't even know their first name. But you would, you would, could I come to you and help you with your practice? And then you would go down to the field. You'd have your cones and a, and a bag of balls. And you would then join in their session. So for that amount of time, you would go around the field asking each coach if you could help them. And then eventually you got to find some familiar teams uh, and they would then start to become your favorites. You spend a bit more time with them, then you could go to their games. But at the, at the early stage, it was just the Monday to Friday coaching. And then Saturday was optional. Well, when I say optional, you're encouraged to go to games. So you didn't necessarily coach a team but you would go and observe and you could make notes. So you just get to see the plays, you talk to the coach. So it was a real exciting time. We'd also do training at the, uh, at the LA Galaxy Stadium, not actually on field, but we would, we would still be like using their, their facilities. It was, uh, then you got to go to games and you would be, sometimes you'd be given roles to, to promote the to promote the team to promote summer camps so that was an exciting time and then from there even though i loved it and after that period i thought yeah i definitely want to come and do this again next year i i didn't request the go back i thought there's so much more of the country to see they always said oh you know you can request the go back somewhere but i was like there might be there might be somewhere different. Let me just see. So I, I didn't make any requests to go back. I have no idea even if they'd want me back, but I didn't make those requests. Oh, yeah. And then I was, I was in a, a comeback from, so from sunny California to I'm sharing a one bedroom basement apartment in basically on the Long Island Queens border and it's March and the snow on the ground. And we didn't, it was um, that California lifestyle where you could walk around in soccer clothes all day mm -hmm. or just short, a pair of shorts and a, and a t-shirt. And people didn't know if you were a rock star, if you're a soccer player, if you're in a movie, they didn't really care what you looked like or, or who, or who you were. They just thought, Oh, this, this guy's, who's this young guy, young English guy, you know, seems to have the leisure of the day. It, that's kind of a lifestyle out there. 
So it was a big, big culture shock from going from being the entertainer, soccer camp coach in this like kind of like movie scene of, of Southern California to being in this, in a suburb of New York was a big eye opener, but then it, you know, you, ne you never know what happens because now that it's turned into my home and I've, I've been here ever since and I, I, ne I don't really see myself moving anytime soon. So the, the whole camp type thing, when you, so, so one, uh, I think it's really, really cool that you, like you said, I went to Georgia, that's all I knew. Like, I just was like, this is an opportunity. I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go after it and we'll just see what happens with it. And then you hop in a car, head to South, you know, South Florida um, and what have you. And then you've, it sounds really cool that you've kind of almost hit the, you know, you've hit the East Coast, you've hit the West Coast. Um, I think the cool thing too is you don't hear much about coaches wanting to help other coaches. And I think it was cool that some of those coaches were like, yeah, sure, come and help us with our teams. Cause I know a lot of coaches are very kind of guarded about their teams. Was there some that kind of pushed back on like, dude, I don't need your guys' help or. Yes, there was always, um, even, even at my club now, there's always going to be that guy that, that pushes, pushes back. But then there was always that one guy that was really happy to, for you to, to take over and would want you to come back each week. And then you'd be getting a phone call saying, Paul, you can't have favorites, but there were, yes, there were, there were a, a lot of opportunities, a lot of situations like that where where they would be be defensive about you wanting you to, to join in, or they would just say, "Oh no, um, I don't need any help." And then you would ask, "Oh, would you mind if I observed?" And then it would be, I always remember one guy, and he was kind of reminded me of like a. a I don't know if you know a former U.S. player called Chris Sullivan. Uh, he he reminded me he's like this kind of like he had like the he's like the Zach Morris of soccer, he, you know, kind of like a good-looking man with like the the flowing blonde locks and the tanned and the um, you know athletic looking, and then he just had the kids in a long in a long line, and he was like juggling the ball, and you know the the basic. The basic exercise, if I serve the ball underhand to you and you side volley it to me, well, he was doing that, but instead of him catching the ball, he was juggling. So it was basically, it was just all about him. <laughs> it was just, just about him showing off. And these little guys were, were just trying to like knock the ball back to him. So it was, um, that's not even, I always remember that. I never knew that man's name. I just, it, you just learned to, um, there was also so many teams. You would go from like under 16 and it went down to all to under six. While I was there, I only made it to like under 10 because you couldn't get round to it, to everyone. It was a huge field and you would just walk around. So sometimes there were times where it, it was a little, you felt a little degraded that maybe you didn't get hold of a coach on the phone and you would show he would just say no like no we don't we don't need help so there was 
Um, but then there were so many people that would open up arms and wanted you to come and then wanted you to go watch their games. So the, um, yeah, you just, sometimes you've got to realize you can't help everyone. It's, and unfortunately, and again, you're only there for a short period of time. It's, and, and, and even, even in, in today's world, if I'm coaching on the field and then a coach comes along and you're like, oh, I don't know this guy. Even though eventually you'll warm up and you'll get along, I, I feel that in you'll somewhat be a little bit defensive. It's like, is he copying what I'm doing? Is he? Or um, well, like, I, I hope he doesn't think I'm copying him. Or, or maybe that's just my me, my self-conscious thinking. But there are, yeah, there's you're going to come across people like that throughout your coaching career, and and it's again this this. Unfortunately, just had to uh, to walk off, walk on it, and help someone else. I'm assuming too, as much impact that you made on those coaches and those players and teams, the experience for you, like even watching the guy that's juggling with a long line of kids, and you were making mental notes of like, "Look, man, it's all about you." And I don't think I'm assuming you don't agree with that. It should have been about the kids at that point. Um, so I'm assuming from that, those experiences from Florida, seeing stuff in Florida to California to Connecticut, now in New York, all these experiences that you got to see, even if it was just observe a team or watch a game have been constantly, like you said earlier about being a goalkeeper and observing the game consistently all the time. It seems like that's been, was another great opportunity to, I'm assuming is helping you now as a director of coaching. It is as well. And then even going back to when I said I'd started the game, which I felt was considered late as that 10-year-old, and all sessions were, were parent-led if you wanted or volunteer-led. So if you wanted if you wanted that extra coaching, you might you may have got it from the PE teacher, the gym teacher at school, or you may have been able to um, – attend like a training clinic during like school holiday vacation times. But that's one of the big reasons why I got into coaching as well, because I didn't get those opportunities as a child to be, to get the training. I feel like I, I wish I'd got, or I wish or I deserved. So I, so helping those children has been a big, big part of my, of my role as director of coaching been a big outreach in its community when when I was able to go into schools that was a big part of the thing I would run after school clubs and you get to whether you were helping kids that had two working parents or if parents were separated and the boy had just been say put in in child care for at the school and you had the opportunity to go and, and play soccer with them and, and and teach them or encourage them to then come and join you on the weekend and play for the club. So that's been a, a big part in helping those kids. And even you just never know that that five, six-year-old, he might not like it now, but in a few years, he may come back. Like I always, I always find that now, I don't know if this happens for you, you get that. 12, 13 year old come, I get a phone call, or oh, we're looking to join the team, but they've never played before. And 
I feel like I'm talking to a 37 year old pro who's looking for a five year contract. It's like, I'm sorry, I don't really have anything I can offer. Um, in some sad way, you think you're dealing with a veteran at, at 12 years old because they've never played and you maybe soccer's the, the teams that you have available, it, it just wouldn't be a good fit for them. So I've done my best as well to try and accommodate teams for those. I, I coach throughout the club. I'll start with the young guys and, and, and try and build my way up just so to try and give everyone the opportunity to get at least um, a glimpse of what you know a good session is. And I feel that, like I always say, you don't want to leave anyone behind. And I had mentioned this before. I'd, I'd spoken to another coach that I want to give everyone a chance. There's... There's so, many, there's so much going on. This is why I find out being a DOC as well. There's so much going on in these kids' lives. So whether it's personal issues or um, physical or psychological things that not that being a doctor, I can only, I, I would, I have no idea. But they, sometimes you can just give them a, giving them a chance to play soccer, given I feel like they all deserve that. And you learn so much being a, being a DLC because you're dealing with registrations as well. And you'll notice, oh, this player's got um, a hyphen last name or this, or the, the, this player's registered. The, the name he was registered under is different than the name he, is, he goes by on the field. So there's, you start to learn a little bit more about the players and it's not just, like it, when I first died, it was show up, uh, run an entertaining soccer session, and then travel to the next to the next town and, and do the same. Now you're actually you're involved with the kids. It's funny that you, not only do you know you know the kid and their siblings, and then you know the parents. Then you start to recognise that what car they drive, like I don't. So like you're, you're, you're so involved that you know so much about them and then you might even maybe you have to drop off a uniform at their house or you um, just because you're in town, you you then start to see where they, where they live and, and, and who they hang out with or, and things like that. Or then you see them now, I see them in the school setting. So actually, um, obviously there's only so many hours in the day and I have my own family as well to, to look after, but you you feel that you, you can get in there very, very deep. And, you know, I've been some very exciting stories as a DOC being an impact on these players, but then there's also been some, some very sad stories. Um, but, but then you're, you're so much involved in, in the, in the players' lives that you don't actually realize it after all these years, I'm still just realizing that you actually do have a big impact on these guys. I really love the fact that everything that you just talked about as a DOC really resonates from where you were at, at the, as that 10 year old who was just starting in. And at that point, quote unquote, wasn't ready to play on like the A team at that point, you had to kind of work your way through. And I think that's awesome because it gives you appreciation that, you know, if I can tap into them when they're younger and get them to at least experience it. So when they do, if they do come back as a 10 or 11 year old, They've had some experience with it. But like you said, even at 10 or 12, 
you know what it's like and you know that it could lead to something. And I think it's awesome that you're like, hey, um, I want to give you guys opportunities to play. Um, and I, being a DOC in the past, completely agree. You become more than just seeing them as a soccer player. You see them like as their actual name. You're not number whatever 10 on the back of your jersey. You're actually whatever their name is. Um, and you get to see, like you said, the what what uh, vehicle they're riding in or who picks them up and who drops them off and who's consistently at games and all that kind of stuff. So it's so much bigger than just – the other thing I love about it is it wasn't – as a DOC, you weren't like, well, here we work and this is our tacticals and this is our technical. And this is like, no, you could tell yours was about like, we're trying to build kids up, like going to the schools and touching base with kids and stuff like that. I think this is really, really awesome. Yeah. Sometimes it's, um, I've sometimes said this as well. You, I've, I've somewhat felt that my club might have had an identity crisis. I've even had that situation sometimes as a coach where um, like I was watching one of my, I coached one team and because of their, they played in a tournament and it was streamed. You weren't allowed to fit. I wasn't allowed to go in. It was just the, the parent of the team. So I'm observing on a YouTube stream and it wasn't the greatest soccer game. It was a lot of, um, if I had, if I had a dollar for every time the ball went out for a, for a throw in, I'd be a very wealthy man. So, but, um, and there is things, obviously I want to help those players become, become better players. And I know once I can get on the, the field with them in the spring, that we'll make, we'll make improvements. But I know that that team has so much, so much community about it, that the girls have actually become friends. In fact, I am, um, this is a great story I'd like to share. I had one girl used to run an after-school club and I would get, I wouldn't even get the gym. I'd get the auditorium. So you've got the stage, the band, it's set up for band on the stage and you're trying to run a, an, an after-school soccer practice in there. And I had one girl and the rest were boys. And I, I, I will admit she was a little, um, a needy child, but I was, you know, he still cared about it, still gave her the chance, still tried to accommodate. She was the only girl in the session. And then a few day, a few years down the road, I get a phone call. This girl's looking for a team. And because of her age, and again, this is a 2008 birthday. So again, you're talking about a, like a 12-year-old, yeah, but like a 12-year-old girl that, and it's like, she's only really played in the school auditorium, not really played any formal soccer or the, the training that she's received is limited. But I was actually able to get her on a team. And even though she is not from that town, in some cases, um, can't do everything, but she's actually then been involved and they were able to do like, a, they were able to go to a haunted house together at Halloween, like an outdoor event. Um, so she was actually now, she really felt like she was be belonging to the team. They had like, they were able to do like a karaoke party and they, you know, the fact now that I was, I gave that girl a chance. I was able to, I didn't leave her behind. 
as that only girl in the auditorium. And now the fact that I was able to get her a, a, a team, and of course, score lines don't, don't matter at this age, but in her first game, she scored. Wow. And it was, it was like, I kind of got like goosebumps in a way. Well, one, because I was also happy. It was my first game back on the field after the COVID break. Um, so I was like, and it was a you know beautiful day. So I was happy that I was back on the field. And the fact that that, that girl, um, it was a miracle that she able to last the, the game because um, you know, this is a girl as well that's had lived a sedentary lifestyle just because of the, the circumstances in 2020. So I was really, really struggling to finish the game just uh, <laughs> uh, as well being first time playing in 11 v 11. So it was... The fact that I was able to give a, a child like that a chance, and I, it, it's funny, you even get, you even get phone calls now from neighbouring clubs, asking me if I, you know, we're short a few players, to, and I was like, well, I, I'd love to help, but I'm contracted to this club, I can't. <laughs> help. I, I unfortunately I can't be um, necessarily helping every club in the area. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm missing an opportunity there, but there are. Uh, but yeah, that's been a, been an exciting time, and the, like you said, I would, there are times where I would like to spend more time on, on the on the tactical side, and and hopefully later on in my career that that I will get that opportunity. But I'm the club are really happy with me, and like what I do for the for the players, like on and off the field as well. It's a, it's a big thing. Like the club's phone number is my is actually my phone number. So they know that if they if they call that number, that they're actually they're actually getting through to an actual person that can give the, them information. It's not going to go to an answering machine and get answered, you know, four or five days down the road or when next time someone's in the clubhouse. So it's. Um, yeah, it's the position that is always evolving. It was never what I initially expected it was going to be, but you know, it's an important position for the club, and it's you know, I, I do more than than make kids run around a field. So, and that's what the the club are happy that I do. I think the word evolving is spot on for just your entire, like what I've heard in this, this hour chat of like going from that young kid learning to be a goalkeeper to the experiences, to going to Burnley games with, with dad, to the experience of coming over and doing the, the camps here in the States. So this is each thing that you've gone has had been a little bit different, but you're constantly pulling and learning different um, ideas and, uh, and things. And like you said, even this, at some point, once you get that relationship built and the club to where it is, then maybe you, you can spend more time on that, that other side. But I think you recognize that the, the game is bigger than just what's on the pitch um, for you all. Paul, this has been awesome. Um, if people want to follow up um, and connect with you, and I know you've got a podcast as well, which I'll put in the, in the notes and what have you, but uh, what's the best, an easy way to get a hold of you and connect and, and maybe continue this conversation? Yeah, I'm extremely, I'm active on Twitter. So my handle is at Paul Kelshaw. It's also my Instagram handle. 
they can contact me that way. I'm always open to a, an email as well. They could always send me an email to Paul Kelshaw at PK Soccer Inc. I'm always happy to, uh, oh, sorry, it's pksoccer.org. So they could always, I'm always, you know, I obviously get the email here and there that I can easily respond. But Twitter, definitely the best way, at Paul Kelshaw. All right, perfect. I'll wrap this thing up. Hey, this is Kieran, Coach's Corner Chats, and I'm out. Peace. Hey, this is Kieran, and the beanie of choice for this episode was the American Eagle USA beanie. Let's go, USA.